Welcome back to the PCS Podcast, your home for all things competitive Pokemon. Today we're going to be talking about the Brisbane and Stugger and Toronto regional results. We're going to do a quick MetaShare study, and to trim a little bit of the time, we're going to jump straight into our Arlington regional prediction, and with me, as always, is Justin, also known as Brews. Yo, Brews, what's going on, man? Welcome back to the show uh, i'm really excited to talk about what we have today it was a little unexpected i didn't actually take into consideration that brisbane was also this weekend so we have a ton of regional results to dive into but other than competitive pokemon how was your week oh man it was uh it was actually really good um i did a bunch of uh, dad stuff this weekend took my kid to her first kid's birthday party uh, so that was fun, um, interesting, you know, first time. And then uh, did some stuff with the family and the in-laws and stuff. And then I also went to a uh, team challenge, ended up winning that um, with some pretty jank decks. Uh, so it was super fun. But in between all that, I got to watch a few few rounds of uh, the St- Stugger and Toronto regionals. And yeah, it was just a crazy weekend for Pokemon all around. How about you, man? Uh, yeah, it's been a pretty cool week myself on... Uh, Tuesday at one of my locals, I decided to play uh, like a Lost Zone kind of Cramorant and Articuno water box type of deal, which is actually really funny because in hindsight, that ended up being a pretty effective play for the weekend at some capacity. So, uh, But without further ado, we can kind of trim a little bit of my personal Pokemon play and we'll dive into the competitive Pokemon play, starting off with the... Brisbane Regionals in Australia. This is that regional that was kind of on short notice. Not a lot of people got a heads up that it was coming. But it did have a showing of 182 Masters. And what deck ended up winning this regional? So this regional was a pretty crazy uh, turnout for all the different decks. But what won was a Intellion Frosmoth box deck. Um, including a Lowland Vulpix V-Star and Articuno, like you mentioned, of all things. Yeah, no, that's pretty crazy. And I knew when Silver Tempest kind of dropped that this Articuno would be very powerful. And not a lot of decks, especially Lugia, were playing switch outs whatsoever. So this Articuno that deals, what is it, 50 damage for two water energy and then auto-paralyzes your opponent's Pokemon... We all know that auto paralysis is pretty sick, and this seems like it does it very, very well. It does unfortunately have a caveat that it does damage to itself uh, in the form of 50 damage. However, we got another card in Silver Tempest in the form of Emergency Jelly, and at the end of each turn, if the Pokemon this card is attached to has 30 HP or less, or has any damage counters on it, you heal 120 damage from it. If you healed any damage this way, you discard this card. So you're actually able to prolong the life and the paralysis lock on Articuno with emergency jelly of all cards. I know, it's just it's wild that this card that everyone wrote off as just being bulk and uh we saw it so prominent this weekend and it just it absolutely makes sense and I think it's it's a card that you'll probably see play even outside of this deck, honestly, going forward because healing that much damage in between turns is nothing to scoff at. No, for sure. And it does unfortunately discard itself after it's been used one time, but we've seen with Hyper Potion, like 120 damage can make or break a game for you. And if you're, you know, within Yoga Loop distance, you no longer are with Emergency Jelly. So I think that this is a very, very powerful card, especially in a deck like this, where even if you did get knocked out, one prize isn't going to make or break the game for you. Uh, but rolling back into the idea that Alolan Vulpix, which actually has a pretty solid out to Mew in the form of the Silvery Snow Star that does 70 times damage, uh, 70 times the amount of V Pokemon that are in play on your opponent's side of the field, having that out to Mew VMAX as well as playing a one of Drapion here just kind of feels like you close out games very easily. Yeah, Mew just fills its bench up with Vs, and so, I mean, it just it, that thing is going to ramp up damage so quickly. No, I, t- I tend to agree. I really do like this deck, and I love that it's running the Frostmoth engine, too. Being able to accelerate energy, uh, water energy to all your water Pokemon that are on the bench. 
it seems like you're you have the ideal accelerator in a single prize deck like this yeah and it's a card that everyone kind of forgot about they were like oh it's a stage one you have to, it has to be on the bench this and that but it's really cool to see it make an appearance especially this late in the meta um because this card's been around since i believe it's uh, sword and shield base set so it's just really cool to see it come back and actually do so well to take a first place finish um and I know the player player on their Twitter actually even wrote how proud they were that this was their own just homebrewed build deck, and they took it to a first place finish. Yeah, and that's that'd be something I'd be super proud of too. So GGS, uh, Tim Franklin, you played outstanding, and this deck is super duper cool. And also, I'd like to point out that uh, Alolan Vulpix V Star has won a regional, and uh, Giratina V Star has not. So <laughs> that's fired. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, <laughs> it's not that Giratina is bad by any means, but it is pretty peculiar that another card that people might as well have written off as bulk has now secured its place as a first place deck. Uh, but coming in second was another deck that, on paper, you would think wouldn't lose to a pure water box yeah yeah we see this uh another toolbox deck and this one is a zekrom and flaffy toolbox decks uh deck including the uh the snorlax with the ability oh my god i'm drawing a blank on the name unit it's unit a, something fat. no it's uh unfazed fat so it unfazed fat a, that's what it is has an ability that it doesn't have uh your opponent's attacks don't affect it so you can't place damage counters or delete it with uh eveltal which is kind of a tough customer to deal with as it deals 180 damage goes to sleep and you have to flip two coins to wake it back up so it's not your great turn after turn attacker as it is pretty circumstantial but with sableye and eveltal being as common as they are in this format something that has an ability that negates that entirely as a single prize pokemon just seems very strong well, and uh, especially now we're seeing all these Articunos. Uh, it's a Pokemon that can't be paralyzed by the Articuno, which is, is a pretty cool um, trade-off there for doing so much damage, uh, one-shotting the Articunos, and then also just not getting paralyzed in between. And that was, you know, the whole point of the Articunos was to get those extra turns because it isn't doing a lot of damage, whereas the Snorlax is doing much more damage than the Articuno. Oh, significantly. And this deck, as consistent as it can be for Quick, for Ultra... Uh, only running two level ball, but that seems to be the pretty necessary count here as you are running a 4-4 line of Mareep and Flaffy. And if you've ever played a deck like this before, you understand how important Manaphy is. But what's not featured in this list is anything resembling Rescue Carrier or a card like Clara that allows you to put your attackers back in your hand. It's running a single Ordinary Rod. Why do you think we don't have as much Pokemon recovery in something like this? Um, I think this deck is just meant to be super aggro. I do see we have the Reg Regilucky there. Um, I know that has the one attack that I can't remember if it's only a supporter or if it's any trainer card you can put back in your hand. Um, but we do have that option to put things back in like the Ordinary Rod if we needed to. Um, but I think it's it's okay not having so much or as much recovery because you are playing the 4-4 Flaffy there. So realistically, if you have three out on the bench, I mean, that's you're accelerating three energies plus attachment per turn every single turn. Um, that's plenty right there. So now you have an extra set on top of Ordinary Rod if someone does take one or two of them out. So um, I don't think it's super necessary, but I would also be super scared of prizing that Ordinary Rod. No, absolutely. And the same Terra Spark attack that's on Regieleki is pretty neat too. Being able to deal 120 to the active and 40 to a bench Pokemon really promotes the line of play to use the spicy Metacham V that's in this deck to put two damage counters anywhere on your field. And if you knock something out with that attack called Yoga Loop, if you will, you could take an extra turn. So this makes it a perfect one-two punch with Lugia as you're deleting the 60 HP Dunsparce by being able to place the 40 there, hit with Yoga Loop, and then follow up with Lightning Attacker as uh, the Dunsparce has left the field and the colorless weaknesses are live once more. Exactly that, or if uh, they're already not playing the Dunsparce, we are playing that Zekrom in here that does 130 damage and it auto-paralyzes as well, um, similar to the uh, Articuno um, so you can therefore paralyze next turn, come in with the yoga loop, take two prizes, get another turn, come up and do it all over again. 
So um, it is a pretty cool uh, combo. This one doesn't, however, play the um, the emergency jelly, but I kind of like it better with the scoop up nets because you can actually scoop up those Zekroms. Energy goes to the discard, put it right back down on the bench, and now your Flaffies charge it right back up, and you can do that whole all over again because we are playing the air balloons to, um, you know, put on something to retreat it. Yeah, definitely a really cool list, and definitely two customers we definitely. I saying definitely a lot. Um, <laughs> two decks we for sure did not anticipate seeing in a top cut scenario after watching Lugia just clean up LAIC. Yeah, one of my favorite uh, comments of the weekend that I saw was um, someone said, is this a GLC tournament? <laughs> <laughs> or is this a GLC regional? Yeah. And I just couldn't help but laugh. It was, I mean the most unexpected things, especially after coming away from such a dominant Lugia meta in at LAIC, and you see these two in the finals, and then, of course, some of the other decks we're going to talk about, too. Yeah, for sure. But uh, the Shady Dealings deck did fortunately come out on top, as it seems like it would have a really bad matchup against a pure lightning box, but here we are, talking about uh, these two decks having whatever matchup against each other and it being completely irrelevant because of pure deck building skill and that's something that we can dive into later but when it comes to diverse deck building let's go into our honorable mentions and i have the third place durant mill deck and this seems so super duper aggro in terms of different decks being played and what what do you notice off of this list before i kind of dive in so, I mean, it's pretty, I'm not going to lie, it's pretty consistent. Everything has four or three of copies um, and just goes all in with the mill strategy. Um, the biggest thing, though, we don't see, and you kind of throws me for a loop, is um, the lack of mana fee in the deck. Um, with the uh, Durants being so important, you needing four, you know, or ideally you want all four on the bench um, or on the field. If someone takes out two of those, now you're only milling two at a time versus your four, and that just can be detrimental. Um, I mean, we do they are playing a four count of the rescue carry so they can get them right back, but it's just one of those things that you would think, one, they're taking less prizes if you have the mana fee, and then two, yeah, it's just if you don't have that rescue carrier right on that next turn, it's you're not milling as fast. But, hey, this person piloted it to a third-place finish, and it's, it's absolutely insane. Yeah, this is crazy. I really didn't think the Peony engine was going to be the consistency card we needed to pilot Durant, but I can also see on paper how just grabbing two really useful cards in the form of uh, Cape of Toughness, in the form of Yellhorn, because if you don't have the energy in the hand, you want to be able to disrupt your opponent at some capacity. So the spicy peony seems to be pretty cool at the end of the day. Uh, and this is a really heads-up deck-building skill, but it just goes to show that nobody was really playing Lost City at all yeah uh so they just understood the field very very well and i've always liked the one of inclusion of the cast form and these like minimal or single prize type decks with the free pivot and retreat that way you're not stuck trying to plan the next turn around having that scoop up net or not having it but this is just a super duper aggro durant mill deck i cannot imagine playing a deck like this without mana fee with how much spread is in this format but you know what they they did very very well and probably caught a real hot streak and that's you know quite a place to do that uh the next yep. <laughs> go ahead oh i was gonna say and just going uh, going back to peony too is uh we do see we have that radiant venusaur in there as well so i mean you can get rid of your entire hand get the two item cards you need um, and then at the end of your turn, you're literally getting a hand, getting four more cards. So it's not like you're kind of hoping to top deck off the next off the next turn to go. Um, and then also the cast form, we do see they're playing a four count of the Yellhorn. So you can literally confuse, free retreat your cast form, and then go in with a Durant and force them to either have a switching card or flip, you know, to try to take an attack. So it's it's just really cool and really really well thought out. No, I, I tend to agree. They understood their field very, very well. And then the 13th place list uh, is the Lost Zone Amazing Rare Rayquaza. This list has popped up everywhere in online tournaments, and it's really cool to see that it finally uh, made some headway in a regional-type uh, event. And Rayquaza doing 80 times the amount of energy that's currently on it is pretty broken. It has a damage cap of 400 damage so you are 
basically deleting anything on the field. This deck runs three Raihan to be able to maximize the amount of uh, energy that you're accelerating in the play, whether it be from the discard pile or, you know, grabbing an extra energy from the deck or a Mirage Gate to accelerate too. This deck seems to have it all. Yeah, it's absolutely crazy. I mean, I would personally be scared to play that many different energies and at such low counts. But, I mean, we see it absolutely. I mean, 13th place, granted, this was a smaller regional, but it's just crazy. And, yeah, that requires potential to be able to hit 400 damage if you have all the different energies on it. It's so crazy. And that's obviously going to be your finisher because we, we are still playing the Sableyes and the Cramorants and things like that. Um, Luminion to do the loops where you can throw the energies back in deck and stuff like that. But yeah, it is really cool to see. Um, we got the one of energy recycler too, so you can throw those energies back in and do it all over again next turn. So it uh, it's pretty cool to see this actually do so well. No, I agree. And one thing that they opted not to do is I've seen a lot of these amazing Rayquaza decks. Uh, they're running a one of Galarian Zapdos to delete something weak to fighting at some capacity, and they opted not to do so. They are still running the Raikou V, which I think is still... A, a coin flip of a of a play if you will because if you start with it it's you're you're behind two prizes already yeah. and it's really hard to recover from something like that as it has such a low hp and it's really circumstantial with its attack but you know if you if you find yourself against a full bench lugia it does come in clutch at some capacity so gg's super sick lost box and you know the brisbane originals just was wild it it made a lot of players you know, before they stepped into Stuggart and before they stepped into Toronto, as they were in a way earlier time zone than us, a lot more comfortable with understanding that, you know what, you don't need to play Lugia to win right now. And that was a breath of fresh air for most people. Yeah, Lugia was definitely heavily, heavily countered this weekend. And um, as we see, there's no Lugia in the top cut of, uh, of this regional. Nope, definitely not, which promotes us to the Stuggart regional, which had 740 five masters and the winning deck here was an adapted palkia list that now runs raikou as well as vikavolt v this seems very similar to the uh earlier Pal earlier sorry earlier palkia lists that we saw in the previous australian regional or or was it ocic where palkia was running the celebrations mew in a four count being able to uh, grab a bunch of items in the form of cross switchers, trekking shoes, what have you. Is this just a different style of the deck, or is this the way that Palkia has to adapt to move with the uh, Lugia meta? Um, I think it was honestly just really a good meta call. I mean, uh, your Palkia can come in and swing big numbers. It can put energies on itself. Uh, and then just Vikavolt itself being able to item lock as well as hit for lightning weakness. Um, I, I really do think it's a good meta call and not necessarily the right way to play Palkia. Um, we have seen a similar list to this um, a couple regionals ago, um, and I believe uh, Mateus actually even said in a, in a tweet that um, his friend was the one that originally played a similar list to this, and he was hooked ever since he saw it, um, and he kind of made his own, his, this his own and you know, took it to a finish. Um, it's really cool. It's a really interesting combo, too, because you don't necessarily always see the water and lightning energies together in the same deck. Um, but yeah, I can see where having that Celebrations Mew to just pull out all these trainers um, be really strong. And there's a lot of trainers in here, as well as it just being super aggro. We see on top of that, we're playing a four count of um, Trekking Shoes, four Scoop Up Nets, the Cross Switchers, a, a variety of different items, including uh, four battle VIV pass and the two energy search. So even if you do whip your energy, that just gives you an extra energy or chance to find it. So um, I really do like this. Um, I think it might be a little too big brain for me, um, but I mean it's it's really cool. Um, and it, like I said, I just think it was a really good meta call. No, I tend to agree. I think this understands the field very well. Palkia already being a very very strong deck at face. Um, what is peculiar, though, is that Palkia seems like it's its strongest when it has the ability to hit that 280 number one way or another, and this one seems like it just adapts with you not having to hit that as you're going to prime most things with the Vikavolt V item lock, which at some capacity is a very heads-up play for sure because Palkia makes for a great finisher. It hits for a ton of damage, 20 times the amount of Pokemon that are on your field as well as theirs, plus 60. It... You know, the math just makes sense, and realistically, you don't have to use Palkia's V-Star power 
for anything unless it's a closing play with Radiant Greninja. So super sick deck. Very excited to see how Palkia transcends through this very Lugia-oriented meta. Uh, and then second place was Mew VMAX with Meloetta. We don't have a list to discuss there, which is rather unfortunate because we haven't seen a lot of Meloetta builds do what a lot of people predicted it was going to do and just kind of storm over Lugia's. Yeah, um, a lot of people kind of, they tried to bring the Meloetta back and then they just instantly wrote it off again. So it's really cool to see um, out of over 700 Masters that someone proved them wrong. Like it, it's still very viable and it can, you know, that, that turn one donk is is <laughs> nothing to scoff at. Yeah. Meloetta, be strong. <laughs> yeah, very, very powerful. With the Forest Seal Stone as well, I would imagine being able to draw basically whatever you need for the next turn. Forest Seal Stone being able to grab you what you need right then just gives you all the freedom in the world to operate around Mew very, very easily. But in sixth place, we have Sander with his Mewtwo V-Union Curlia control deck. Is this not a very Sander thing to play a deck that immediately counters the previous control deck that he brought to the Lugia meta? <laughs> well, that's the thing. He He knows that everyone has their eyes on him and the moment he plays something, he's got to come up with something else because everyone's either going to be countering it or they're going to be playing it. And so why not build a, something that he knows is going to beat the deck that he just previously built? I mean, this man's a genius. And this deck, if you actually look at it and realize what all the cards do and how, everything is important in this deck, and it's just it's absolutely brilliant to me. I mean, the this is it's not even so much a V-Union control deck anymore. This is more of a V-Union wall aggro because with we see that we have this gengar in here with the life shaker all the way from sword and shield base set that i mean people thought it was a bulk hollow they were like this isn't playable able to move the damage counters to any of your psychic pokemon which you know you're going to have the curlias and you're going to have the gengar and um, all these other psychic pokemon on the bench and then we play the radiant serena which then heals all that damage off so now you don't have to worry about healing your Mewtwo V-Union every turn, and you can focus on spreading 16 damage counters. You can sp uh, focus on hitting 300 damage. It's just, it's so good and so smart. And then one of my favorite inclusions is the Shining Arcana Gardevoir. Yeah, no, oh, I love that card. I, I have been preaching since the Curlia came out that Shining Arcana uh, Gardevoir is going to be something that transcends into the next format. Being able to draw two cards off the top of your deck, and if any of them are energy, you accelerate it. And it's a single prize Pokemon that you can scoop up and reutilize on a separate Curlia. I I can't say how you like how underutilized that card is right now. And I'm just not well versed enough as a player to find the most efficient way to do it. But I really think that Sander has kind of brought that engine to life, and that makes me really excited to see how deck builders transition going forward. Yeah, yeah, this deck is it's going to be definitely meta defining, I think, um, because it completely changes the whole control variant. It's control turns attacking wall now. I mean, it's so cool. I'm not going to lie. I literally I, I went to my shop yesterday and I gave them a list of what I needed. And I have the, I literally already have this built in person because it is beautiful. It's such a it's such a good, good looking deck. No, I, I agree. And the double Silene, the double Pal Pad still has a lot of those outlast capabilities, if you will. Uh, running the two V Guard energy makes the Mewtwo V Union very, very hard to knock out uh, from things like the Sneaky Drapion B and so on and so forth. So really cool to see that Mewtwo V Union had a pretty big showing this weekend. And one thing I'd like to point out is I think it's Mewtwo's right leg or left leg, if you will, has an ability that negates the effects of your Pokemon, your opponent's Pokemon's attacks. So it's Evelto proof and it's yeah. Articuno proof. So <laughs> your, your best Pokemon right now to help you break out of whatever this, me this meta becomes might just very well be a V union card, which most people kind of bindered before they tried it out. Oh yeah, I mean, before Sander came up with, or Meese and Sander came up with the original Mewtwo V Union deck, I probably got rid of four or five Mewtwo V Union sets, just almost at bulk pricing, and now it's like, I, I would kill to have all those sets, because I'm, I'm sure they're worth some money. Oh, I tend to agree, they are not cheap right now online. I don't see myself playing it anytime soon, but I might have to, I might, I might have to go dabble. 
But very, very cool. Love seeing these control lists. Sander, keep it coming. Uh, and in ninth place, I featured the uh, Zoroark box piloted by Benjamin Pham. I love Zoroark, man. I absolutely love this stage one utility toolbox type of thing. And adding the new Braxian plus Raichu and the Bayhem, it seems like it has answers for everything now. All you need to have is the appropriate energy to attack with. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. This is actually, it's funny that you picked this one because I also had this on my honorable mentions decks because, I mean, people were have been talking about it being good, but so far no one's, like, made an actual showing with it, and ninth place is is really good. Um, this is actually one of the matches that I did get a chance to catch on stream, um, and it was really cool to see him actually try to go in with the Radiant Jirachi one of those turns. He ended up rolling double tails, um, but then the next, I believe it was the next turn or the two turns later, he ended up winning the game. Um, but it literally went from if he would have rolled the double heads, he would have won that turn. It was just, I was I was rooting for him at that point. Right, and being a basic Pokemon that only needs a double colorless cost to fill uh, attack cost fulfillment makes it super duper useful in a deck like this because even if you fail and they decide to knock out a pokemon that could potentially delete anything worth any amount of prizes with energy already attached to it to do it the following turn you have to take it out of the game and if you don't have the path to the peak plus the knockout on this radiant jirachi they're going to go into their deck and grab three cards to just do whatever this deck needs to do all over again it is incredibly multifaceted in a single price deck like this yeah, exactly. It's like normally you would think when you knock out something, okay, it's in the discard pile. Well, here comes the next Zoroark and just brings it right back. Yeah, no, I, I tend to agree. And using the Appleton and Flapple to punish a lot of Pokemon or players, if you will, for playing Pokemon with abilities or playing a lot of special energy, Cough Cough Lugia, it seems like it is perfect for this meta. And when you get behind on prizes or if your opponent has two prizes left, Slowbro can just let you take two prizes. Like, you just win. Yeah. Like, that's super cool. Yeah, exactly. This this has a lot of answers to a lot of things in the meta right now, and it's really cool to see someone pilot it so far. Like I said, it's it's one of those it's people have talked about and talked about it, and we finally have a finishing place for it. Yeah, it's super duper cool. I hope to see that Zorark box has a little bit of success in the future. Um, yeah, very, very cool for sure. And then we're going to transition into the Toronto Regional 1061 regionals who and what won this regional so we actually have a repeat winner we have piper lapine she also won the baltimore regionals i believe earlier this year um and she won with uh none other than a mewtwo v union control list yeah so mewtwo v union has a lot of showing this weekend yeah for sure and this one stays very close to the uh, Snorlax, Miltank, if you will. It does play Quad Eveltal, which is perfect for this Lugia format that we're in right now. Being able to delete a bunch of special energy for the cost of just twin energy seems pretty good. Playing the double Silene, the double Palpad, so it has the same capabilities to outlast and stay in the game. And they played Duraludon in the final, which is so heartbreaking because this is such a bad matchup. If you could land Crushing Hammers on those fighting energy... Which firmly puts me in the camp of staying in, like with the with a four fighting energy count because of nightmares like this. But Piper played outstanding and the heads up play of using the Radiant Gardevoir as well as V Guard energy promotes a line where it's very difficult to take a knockout on Mewtwo V Union with the Drapion V that most of these lost bo- lost guys said it again, lost bone <laughs> lost zone decks are playing. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And then I, I caught some of the final stream, um, and man, was Piper landing heads on those dice left and right. Like when Christian, uh, the second place winner uh, or second place finisher, um, was thinking he was getting ahead, it just was heads, heads, Silene, heads, and it was just like you, you love it for Piper, but you hate it for Christian. It was just, uh. But it was it was a like you said it's a hard matchup already for Duraludon and with those crushing hammers coming through it just it nail in the coffin. Yeah, definitely very frustrating. But GG's Piper, you are on a roll this season. I hope to see more of these top cut and, and first place finishes from you this year. Very very cool. Second place, as we had mentioned before, was RCSV Star and Duraludon. 
We unfortunately don't have a list to look at here, but I do know that they were playing two switch one rope, and that was something that Piper was discarding very handily and making it very, very difficult for uh, Christian to get back into the game. But at any capacity, GG is super sick to see you take Drelladon all the way to the finals in a thousand plus person tournament. This is a I really do think it is a great meta call for this format. Yeah, I agree. And uh, Christian, actually, too, we've seen, if I, I'm pretty sure it's the same person that we've seen throughout quite a few regionals playing RCS V-Star Drowd on VMAX, so very committed to the Power Tower and, and has done very well, I think, I believe, multiple day twos with this uh, RCS V-Star Drowd on VMAX deck. So it's really cool to, uh, to see them almost take a, you know, a full win with it because, you know, as everyone knows, you and I are big Duraldon fans, so. Yep, yep, and as, as linear as that deck may be, it still sparks that excitement for me, so GG, super sick to see. Hope I hope we see Christian and Duraldon up in top cuts very soon. The honorable mentions are going to start off with Isaiah Bradner and their Lugia V-Star Espeon VMAX deck, and I know... Isaiah, John, Ang, and Rahul Reddy were all playing this deck, and they named it All Dogs Go to Heaven. Uh, <laughs> not entirely sure what sparked that idea. However, the 1-1 line of Espeon VMAX, I've been back and forth about how useful this might be, and I think it just needs to fit into a specific deck to promote specific lines of play. In a deck like this, it definitely looked like it became more a, of a liability, giving up three prizes and having a lower HP of 310. But its ability, allowing you to negate the effects of your opponent's Pokemon's attacks, as long as your Pokemon have energy on them, seems like it's a really good bench-sitting uh, big parasol to prevent you from getting deleted by Eveltal. Yeah, I uh, whenever I saw this, I actually thought this was just ingenious for this meta and such a great meta call again um because it does help against uh your opponent's lugia matchups where they try to come in with an evil tall to just completely delete a pokemon off the board um as well as um all the articunos that we've been seeing running around uh this past regional or this past weekend and all the regionals um because since it paraly paralyzing is an effect of the attack uh well the pokemon aren't getting paralyzed as long as they've got the energy attached to them so um, I do think that was a really, really good inclusion. The one one line kind of worries me, just in case you prize something like the VMAX, just for the pure sake of um, you're not playing any heavy balls or Peonia or anything like that to search it. But, you know, at the same time, um, if, if it sticks once, even late game, I think it's worth it um, because it's just, uh, you know, it, it, like I said, it's a big parasol for everything that has energy on it. So I think it's really cool. Um, like I said, it is kind of weak to the Drapion potential, but at the same time, um, I think a lot of people were kind of discounting Drapion um, in recent formats just because Mew wasn't as prominent, but we might start seeing that come back here soon. Yeah, for sure. Like, it, 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 it is a lot easier with all the ball search uh, in the form of 4 Quick Ball, 4 Ultra Ball, and 4 Evolution Incense to get Espeon going versus trying to find a one-of card like a big Parasol in a deck like this. Uh, it's like playing Where's Waldo, you know? So you want to give yourself the most <laughs> amount of outs to get that Espeon VMAX. And I think Lugia might be a great home for something like this, which also sparks a lot of ideas. How many 1-1 line combos can you throw into Lugia without differentiating from the core of what Lugia really brings to the table? Yeah, it's crazy how, like, we see, I mean, this deck is, all all the Lugia decks have become so streamlined, yet their Pokemon lines are so large and massive it's almost like you have to play such a consistent supporter and item line just because the the Pokemon lines are so clunky sometimes that those other cards will help you streamline everything else. Yeah, for sure. And it seems like this deck was just consistent enough. You know, 11, 1, and 4 is definitely nothing to scoff at in fifth place. Is an incredible finish, and I know Isaiah Bradner is a very grindy player so we'll have to look forward to the spice that they bring to an event like this in the future uh but ggs isaiah and then in 38th place i know i kind of went left field when i picked this one yeah. but uh, there was a 9 3 and 3 eternatus vmax and galarian wheezing deck i i had to feature this man like we were laughing about the presence of eternatus previously 
now it seems like it might be something to take a little seriously. Yeah, I um, I picked this as well too. I was kind of laughing, uh, or not even. I don't want to say, say laughing. It's just like it's so wild to see it do so well out of a th- over a thousand players. Even though it's thirty eighth place, I mean, that's really really good for this deck. Um, I think the the main benefit it has is because there's been just a really big lack of um, Path of the Peak right now. Most people are kind of opting for other options because they realize it doesn't really help in the Lugia matchup and too many other matchups. Um, so they're playing things like Collapse Stadium. So yeah, that kind of hurts us, but at the same time, it also can help it by getting rid of threats like Crobat and stuff like that off the bench. Um, it's also playing a 4-3 of the Galarian Weezing, which really helps in the Lugia matchup because it turns off those um, Archaeops abilities and then just uh, Lugia in general if you can get it off fast enough. So I think it's a... I mean, I don't want to say it's a viable deck, but it can definitely catch a lot of people off guard. Yeah, I think that in the realm of a, of a regional this large, it does pay off to play the deck that nobody practiced against. And I guarantee a lot of testing groups did not have Eternatus on their radar. This seems like a very strategic play, in my opinion. Uh, being able to run a two of count of the forest seal stone, obviously you're only able to use one of them, but Eternatus is definitely a deck that could have capitalized on having something resembling a V-Star power. And I think that they might have found the way to make it work. Yeah, those four seal stones, I mean, make a lot of decks uh, viable that would, you know, normally not be viable, just giving it the ability to search out that one card that they need to change the game in their state or into uh, their their favor. So, I mean, it's it's really cool. And then going back to the like a deck that people didn't practice about, that has got a lot, I, I will say, that gives a lot of merit to people doing well sometimes. If people don't know what to expect or it's not just a, a copy-paste deck offline, yeah, I mean, you, you can really go far because people just sometimes don't know how to play against it. Yeah, for sure. And this player was very, very focused on winning the Lugia matchup as they were playing a four-count of Temple of Sinnoh. It just doesn't get any more oppressive than that. Uh, getting stuck behind uh, ability lock as well as not having any special energies that really do anything just seems super oppressive. And I, I for one, am very, very excited to see how this meta shakes out, which leads us straight into our meta share study for this episode. And I want to ask you, Justin, is this meta diverse enough? Did Silver Tempest eliminate what we refer to as meta definition? So I'll, I'll go ahead and say that I think that um, it's definitely diverse. I mean, there's a lot of decks that can show up and do very well. I do think, however, this weekend, even though we had three separate regionals, um, was kind of a, uh, a weekend out of left field, to say the least. Um, I think that Lugia was so heavily countered. I mean... I think most people went in with the idea counter Lugia, counter Lugia, and that just kept that pushed them down. We saw kind of those similar things with online tournaments with Mu Vmax, where um, and I, we talked I talked about this in the Discord a little bit, where it was you either played Mu Vmax or you played a dark deck to counter Mu Vmax, and at, even then you would still see a couple of the Mu Vmaxes break through and stuff like that. Whereas we saw a couple of Lugias do very well in day two um, here in Toronto, and so I think. What's going to happen is we're going to go back to people saw, oh, Lugia didn't do as well as we thought, so we don't have to counter as hard. And then next time we're going to see the Lugias pop back up and other other things that get caught in the crosshairs of getting of Lugia being countered and things like that. So I really do think the meta is diverse, but I do still think there is kind of these S-tier, Tier 1 decks um, out there that will eventually kind of take back over. But I do believe that something can show up and take a take the whole tournament um out of left field you know it's so there is a diversity but there's also still a defined top top tier decks yeah absolutely and i I, i'm in i'm firmly in the camp that this meta right now it definitely promotes better deck building you you've seen a lot of these decks and we've talked a lot about these decks the ones that are rising to the top right now doesn't matter what you're playing as long as it's consistent staying within your means not overextending for a specific play for a specific matchup if you have it you have it if you don't play consistently and hope that your opponent's build isn't near as consistent to kind of level the playing field a little bit here 
we are definitely in a meta right now where there are specific hard counters that people are wanting to bring to the field to oppress one deck or another. But I think right now the best tech you can do is to build and play consistently. Yeah, I 100% I agree. Um, this weekend at my team challenge, I played a very unorthodox deck, but I made it turbo, but very consistent in turbo. And I ended up going 4-0 completely undefeated with something that in my testing was horrible, <laughs> honestly. So yeah, consistent decks will take you a, a very far ways. Yeah, just even scrolling back to all the lists that we have featured on the show notes, like they're playing multiple counts of everything that is core and essential to these decks. You know, you need to run scoop up nets for an engine in your deck, run a three or four count of them. You need to run uh, an attacker that needs double turbo energy or two colorless energy to attack, run a three or four count or at least a high count of a mixture of twin and double turbo. It just seems like the best decks right now in a format like this are the most consistent. So for deck builders back home and our listeners, just make sure your list is consistent. You know, the one of, two of tech may not be worth it if you can include a three or a four count of something that's more essential and core to your deck. Yeah, I've, we've said it time and time again. Uh, techs are cute, but consistency, consistency wins. Yeah, absolutely. And because these regionals have taken up so much time uh, we are going to skip the player profile and the card spotlight this week and we're going to move on to the listener question we had uh someone in the twitterscape named henry uh they hit my dms and they said how much practicing should i do before a regional should i only play one deck and if not how many decks should i play and justin i'll go i'll let you go ahead and answer this first um, I mean, I for me personally, um, I, w- I wouldn't stick to one deck by any means. Um, I'd probably pick something that you're very comfortable with and do a lot of testing with it. But with my testing groups, um, like my locals and stuff like that um, that are in my testing group, what we like to do is we build a variety of the top decks that we've seen in the meta and things like that. And we'll kind of take turns um, playing. So I'll play the deck that I want to practice and I'll go, and I want to practice against this, you know, X deck. Say, say Lugia. I want to practice against Lugia because I have a bad matchup against that. I want to see how, uh, what my outs could be playing against it and things like that. So, um, one, it helps me learn those outs. But two, it helps my other, my, my testing partner learn the Lugia deck in and out. And then we will go and we'll switch. He'll go pick the deck that he wants to play. And I go, what do you want to play test against? Um, and for me, you know, that if I'm learning that deck or playing against it, it's also teaching me what are the potential plays that my opponent could have as if I were playing that deck. So like you might not know that deck in and out, but you might go, oh, this is a line of play that I wouldn't have seen before because I've never tested it. But since I practiced this deck just in trying to help someone else learn it, it helped me learn that deck better too so I can better prepare to play against it if that makes sense. Um, It's just one of those all around, it kind of gets you well-versed on other decks, but it still helps you hyper-focus on the deck that you are wanting to take to that regional or larger event um, and do well with. It's just kind of, it kind of opens up the playing field for you and understand multiple decks better. Yeah, I tend to agree. And those who are in the Discord and understand me as a player, I'm very much so a learn-to-play-it, learn-to-beat-it type of person. So... Although it may be an unorthodox 60 that may not fit my play style, I still find myself sleeving it up, bringing it to a local or a testing group or something like that, or even just building it on PTCGO, and understanding the limitations and the ins and outs of these decks. With that being said, I, I don't really limit myself on the potential options. Obviously, when I'm deck building, I look at cards, understand that they're, they have utility against specific decks, and they become liabilities against other decks. For example, playing Mew, if you want to tech in a Drapion to win the Mew Mirror, that might expedite it for sure. But if you start it against something that swings for Fighting Weakness or something that has 210 or 220 potential right out the gate, it could potentially be a liability if you don't start anything else. So it's one of those things where when you're building especially in a very diverse meta like this i'd say the practicing against what is considered 
uh, S1 and 2 tier would give you the most outs to try to understand the format and how you can maneuver around it at larger events. Exactly. And then going back to um, just real quick on, on my method of doing it as well too, um, the other thing that happens when you do that, sometimes you might think that the deck that you want to take uh, is your best play and you end up finding something that you play much better or you like more or seems more fun. Um, one of my regionals pre-COVID that I did was we actually that I was fully set to go in with Blacephalon GX um, and the night before or not this is horrible don't do this the night before this was <laughs> this was probably a bad bad choice on my part but the night before we were my uh, teammate and I were testing um, and he was playing uh, Ability Zard and it was just he was just dominating so I was like well let me try it and I started trying it I was like, oh my god, I love this deck. This is way more like what I'm feeling right now and ended up doing pretty decently. Didn't make day two, but I did did well for that regional for a deck I picked up the night before. And um, So yeah, so sometimes with doing those testing, testing other things, you might come across something that you end up either enjoying more or you are playing better than what you the deck you were set on because I've also done that where I, I want to play this deck and I just lose game after game after game because it just wasn't wasn't the fit for that that situation no for sure and that and that makes total sense and then to answer your first question how much practicing should you do before a regional obviously try not to get all your practicing in the night before uh but i'd say probably the two weeks leading up to it try to go to as many locals or try to get your buddies together to do local testing groups and stuff like that i don't really feel like ptcgo is the best grounds to really tax your deck and give it the uh try to understand its functionality i will say that maybe going on to played out limitless and partaking in some of their events will give you a lot more of the matchup that you're looking for when it comes to testing for regionals but i think that shuffling up cards maybe three times a week do like maybe you know five to ten games a night wouldn't hurt understanding especially if you already understand which 60 you want to play that will definitely give you the most well-roundedness to the deck that you are trying to you know compete with at this level so although it may seem really grindy you might feel like your eyes are bleeding or something over time because you're just using the same 60 over and over again but the whole point is to have the repetition and understand how it operates against different matchups and when you draw into bad hands, how you can turn the game around in your favor. Exactly, yeah. I would say a couple days beforehand, maybe give yourself a mental break. But the, like Drew said, the two weeks leading up to it, definitely just practice as much as you can. Um, I've never been a big fan of online, personally. Um, I don't play on there very much at all. I just like in-person better. But also with that, you're you're practicing your shuffling, you're practicing your, your speed, because that's another thing that um, if, I don't know if this will be your first regional or um, you know or if you've been to them before, but um, speed is a big factor. Shuffling is a big factor. Um, there's a lot of pressure and stuff like that. So, so just getting those repetitions in with physical cards definitely is a big help as well too. I mean, just that aspect of practice is almost as beneficial as actually learning the deck part of practice. Yeah, for sure. And Henry, I hope we answered your question. Uh, if you plan on going to Arlington or anything else in the future, you know, best of luck to you. If you need any tips or if you're excited about some specific stuff, definitely continue to hit up our DMs on Twitter. But this is going to lead us into our final segment of today's pod. And we're going to do what we do best and guess incorrectly what we're going to see at the Arlington Regional in terms of first place finishes. <laughs> Justin, you start. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think we've nailed this once yet. Um, we've had great guesses, but yeah, we've not hit one. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say, because I, I kind of mentioned it earlier, I think people are going to underestimate, not underestimate, but not tech for Lugia as hard. And I do think a Lugia with some switches or escape ropes or something is going to um, gonna take it, I think. I I really do. Um, my second guess would probably be a Mew VMAX because it already plays things like switches and stuff like that, so it's going to get around all those new auto paralysis decks and um, and things like that. So that will be my prediction. Right on. And then I I'm going to throw one out of left field here. Duraludon wins Arlington Regional, 
and I'm staying firm with that pick. I've been historically wrong, but it's nice when I'm right, and hopefully I'm right with a deck that I really, really do enjoy. Uh, we also have um, one or two listeners that are in our Discord who are going to Arlington, so we'll definitely have to follow along very closely there and see how they do. So good luck, Justin. Uh, but for those who want to join our community and those who want to get more involved in the PCS podcast, make sure you're hitting up our Twitter at PCS underscore pod. Our DMs are wide open. You can always add us if you need anything from us. We'd be happy to involve you and, you know, communicate more with you on the Twitterverse. Justin, go ahead and plug the show, buddy. Yeah, if you guys want to find me, um, Instagram is Pokebrews. That's my main uh, main social media. Um, I also do have a Twitter that I'm on every once in a while, Pokebrews TCG. Um, I highly recommend checking out one of those to check out my jank deck that I played this past weekend. That was super fun. Um, shocker, Vikavolt, Regilecki. Uh, <laughs> and then if you guys can, if you're shopping on TCG Player, just use my TCG Player affiliate link. Um, Caution has nothing extra. Helps support for upcoming regionals. Check out Swift Lifestyles Energy. Um, also in my Linktree account. And uh, on to you, Drew. Yeah, all right. Yeah, and if you want to check out any of my stuff, I'm on YouTube at Katana TCG. I'm on Twitter also as Katana TCG. And then for the podcast, oh my goodness, I just had a crazy loud alert on my computer. And as far as the <laughs> podcast goes, if you want to join our Patreon, make sure you're checking out patreon.com slash PCS podcast. This gets you entries into the monthly giveaway and entrance to the PCS locals, which is a tournament that we have in our discord and if you want to buy any pcs merchandise make sure you're checking out bonfire.com slash store slash pcs pod any purchases you make there directly goes to us and helps us upgrade our equipment so we don't sound like we're talking into potatoes every week and that's going to do it for our show thank you so much for listening deuces